The following message is a part of the teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church of Fairburn, Georgia, also on the web at gracebible.faith. That's gracebible.faith. All right, so as you noticed, I have on here Sunday morning prayer meeting. And sometimes what happens with us who uh, you use a similar format every week is you accidentally let your format, your template for your uh, PowerPoint or your pre- uh, presentation carry over accidentally. So I'll have the wrong date or I'll have something on there. This was on purpose. Um, you notice it does say Sunday morning prayer meeting. So what we do on, um, on Wednesday evenings, I want to replicate on some level here this morning. So over the last several months in prayer meeting, we've given the teaching portion of our time, which is not the primary emphasis in prayer meeting. Our primary emphasis is supposed to be on prayer. 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 So that's our aim and objective. But sometimes people struggle and they, they teach too long. Um, and I apologize. Um, that actually happened at the, the jail this last week. We were doing a little Christmas charge on Tuesday. We are going around passing gifts out. We were told, look, this is a very tight opportunity. The jail staff's in overtime. We want to be mindful of that. So I did. I was really tight with the first group and I thought that was it because I was doing one group. And then I was asked, hey, do the second group. It's super. And uh, boy, they were responsive. And so I just thought, you're responding. I'm teaching. Let's just continue this for another minute or two. And I was asked afterwards, that was really helpful. Can you keep it shorter next time? <laughs> um, so for the third group, I think I did, but I didn't get any real feedback. So that may have been the only year I get to do that. But nevertheless, um, in prayer meeting and, and even today, we want to be concise, right? We want to make sure we, we focus on prayer. So uh, that being said, we still try to give attention to something. And so it's not just, well, what's a token thing we can talk about? Uh, we for a while talked about um, uh, things about disciplines of prayer and how to think about prayer. We've done testimonies. We've done an assortment of things. But we've set on a pattern of when we read a psalm on Sunday morning to prep uh, prepare us for that, we'll teach on that psalm. So that's not just a cold Oh, that's that psalm. Okay, I, I might be familiar with it. You have a measure of uh, more general familiarity with it. You uh, you have some ownership of it. You've been thinking about it, praying about it. So that's that's what we try to accomplish. And uh, that being said, we obviously didn't have uh, a traditional prayer meeting this last week. So we're going to make up for it this week. So we were caroling and uh, being able to serve and just fellowship together. But that being said, we're going to give our attention to Psalm 150. It will not be exhaustive. It might feel like that at certain times. It might be exhausting, but that's not exhaustive. So we're going to not be exhaustive. So not everything's going to get addressed. Uh, we just want to do a high-level treatment to give us an appreciation of it and uh, to direct our attention to its truth. So that we're again, we're not just reading it and, okay, yeah, I remember that psalm. Or, oh, yeah, that happens to be at the end of the Psalter. But we, we have some ideas with that. So... That being said, um, we finished our last few weeks of the year. You might have noticed the pattern of reading with some exceptions. So with special teaching comes special exceptions. So we read from Zephaniah 1 today. Well, we didn't. That's not in the Psalms. But that fit with uh, Matt's message. So, But we had a pattern of we're going to finish the, uh, the last several weeks of the year with Psalm 146, 47, 148, 149, and 150. Um, just to kind of close out the year with the closer of the Psalms. And this specific section we called the what psalm. So if you are, if you're Wednesday night veterans, and if the the sugar hasn't overwhelmed your your sense of memory, as it were, from the fellowship time, what did we call these last cluster of psalms? One forty six through one fifty. Hallelujah. Yeah, that Hallelujah psalms, and we'll have uh, the opportunity to, to explore that more in just a moment. But 
Um, that being said, they're the Hallelujah Psalms. Um, and we're going to examine this final Hallelujah Psalm. And again, sometimes people will be like, well, this is a royal psalm. Well, it doesn't say a royal psalm of David. Some, well, maybe one of them does. But we categorize them, right? So we can understand it. And there's certain points of continuity and consistency. Well, this one's very obvious. 46, 47, 146, 147, 148, 149, 150. All of a certain pattern that we'll, again, explore just for a moment today for a refresher or exposure. But I want to first consider where we are in the year. Um, and I know that might be like, well, you're doing that seasonal teaching thing. I'm not a big, big fan always of doing seasonal teaching. I like just working through. I do think there's advantage to giving special attention. We do that fittingly with uh, special messages, Christmas and uh, Easter or Resurrection Sunday. But I want us to consider where we are in the year for a moment because we've come to the conclusion, right? You are the survivors of uh, another year. Um, it's December 26th. When we meet again, it's over. 2021's done, right? And for those of you who know, and I'll just cast this out, I'm speaking broadly, for those of you who know and love the scriptures, for y'all, um, the, the year is not some construct of man, is it? It wasn't so that man can quantify his existence. So, okay, well, let's put the rotation together. We'll call it a year. Rather, it's what? It's a reflection of that which has been instituted by God. God created hours and days and weeks and months and years, right? And we know, and by what means did he do this? By what means did he give structure to that? Creation itself. Yeah, creation itself. And you, I don't know about you, but you get up this morning and there's like the flaming ball on the horizon. It rises and it goes up and it gives us a day and it sets. And then we have what in the evening? The moon and the stars. And so we have, with the passing of another year, the structure that God's provided. I think it's uh, fitting sometimes to take advantage of the opportunity to, to measure or evaluate things, which I know if you are familiar with me, you might think, well, you measure and evaluate and things? Yes. yes <laughs> this is one of the best times of the year um, for all the data that you put in all year. You're used to, and I'm sure you do this. You probably get really excited at the end of the week or the end of a month and you study your graphs, your statistics, your tax management program. But at the end of the year, you get to see how, how did that all fit together? How did, how did all that data I put in with how long I, I studied, I was serving in this capacity, how long I slept, how many steps I took? You, it's all there. It's all there. You got. You can look at it. You can figure it out. And you can have your your sad moments and excuses. Well, that, that was a rough season, but I made up for it here. Isn't it? That's a really exciting thing, isn't it? So the end of the year is really uh, quite nice. Other people see the turn of the year. It's a fresh start. That just means you got to rebuild the statistics. I mean, so. And I remember my finishing my first year at Grace Bible Church last December, and I, and I'm not upset. I just. I'm a little confused, but that's I can live with that. I, I gave Frank and Matt some statistical information about how I spent my time because nobody's here and nobody's watching me. And maybe they are. There are cameras around. <clears throat> and and the, this microphone is ceiling. But as I, this is how I spent my time. This is how I structured it. This is this is how much I, I uh, effectively value different things based on how I spent my time. And I think they were grateful that that I was a, a nice guy that gave them good information, but I think it, it, it's okay. Not everybody's going to look at it. Um, I, I'll conclude they appreciated my statistical insights, but they have a, a different valuation of a wealth of data. So, But some things, they're not as easily quantified, are they? So I can plug in 
how long I spent studying this, which there's no special merit to that because maybe you're just not maybe as good of a student or you're just not smart or maybe you're inefficient or maybe you're brilliant and you get it done fast. There's, there's no inherent value in that. But when you know yourself, there's no value to that, right? So you can, how did I do this? But some things you just can't quantify. It's hard to get your hand around. Um, but you can figure it out when you have a starting point and an ending point. An easy example would be young adults. So they know that he, he's, he's like, I, I found this shirt, but, um, or this jacket, but um, I don't know. I don't think it fits anymore. And it's like, oh, you look the same as you did like a month ago or six months ago. But thing, but if you look at one point and a finishing point, you have a kind of a, a passive evaluation you can make where there's things that are not as easily quantifiable, which I guess we could if we measured them every day. 2022, that's what we're going to do. We'll add that to our statistical information. Um, but there's this passive experience, again, of, of watching young, young folks, especially growing height, weight, size, these kind of things. And for it takes sometimes a beginning and an end to properly evaluate that. And sometimes that only becomes apparent over long periods of time. Now, I think about that, again, end of the year. And for those of us who are in Christ, the experience of our sanctification is in a similar way, right? There's, it's much easier to say, this is how I was here versus this is how I am now versus between then. Sometimes that's hard to figure out. Um, it's usually less obvious. Now, maybe there's sometimes where you've overcome, you've mortified certain sin or you've matured in certain areas that were more clear. Okay, that can be easy. But even that, I mean, how did that happen? That wasn't just a flip the switch kind of thing. And wow, I'm, I'm walking in greater joy now. Well, that probably took a while. So with the scope of progress that comes with our sanctification, I would include our progress also as worshipers. So here we are. Now we're back to Psalms, right? A progress that ranges in its, in its expressions. Um, the Psalms range in their expression of worship, and I think our expressions of worship range. Um, now some of us, like Frank and Anton, may be those who spontaneously erupt in worshipful dancing. You wonder why the chairs are so tight sometimes? It's to, it's to control those fellows. Others, like myself and Willem, we only dance on the inside. Um, but we're going to return to those matters in just a moment. But I want us to be thinking about this time of the year and really wrestle with the question of how we individually and corporately have progressed as worshipers. So again, if there was a spectrum of dancing on the inside to dancing on the outside, we could quantify that, right? Be like, oh, look, he's starting, his heart starting to, to show up in his, his foot tapping. And then, like, look, he's, he's like another Anton. Um, we can measure that. We can measure that, but we can't really measure that, though. It's not so obvious um, in that way. So I want us to wrestle with that uh, for our own sakes. I can't look at you and be like, well, I can see you're a better worshiper now. Maybe you do sing out more. Uh, maybe you mean it more. I can't, I don't know. I can't peek inside the heart. I don't know what's really happening outside of conversation and, and spending time together. But how we're progressing as worshipers is something I want us to consider. And as we have that in mind, as we walk through Psalm 150, because it really is directing us that way. So, and again, maybe as this week progresses, uh, just determine not to resolve uh, as the year turns to, to focus on temporal things. Those are fine, right? I mean, again, it's God who created days and months and years. And I think that's a good thing to think about and to evaluate our temporal lives in those ways. But also to think about, okay, 2022, how can I be a better worshiper? that fair enough that's and how we quantify that well that's in the lord's hands i think 
So regarding this matter of worship, many of you have heard me state that King David was, I would say, quintessential worshiper. So Matt and I might have a spirited discussion. Here he is boosting Hezekiah. He didn't name any of his Hezekiah. So it must be not that special. But goodness, David, David's a, he's a great king. Hezekiah maybe was Josiah. Was that be his top three maybe? Would you, would you have a different top three? Or just Those are the three that come to mind. Yeah. So David, any, you have to put in there. Anybody else? have a top three i think those are probably hitting the top three but with david i'd say aware of his complexities and problems which were many uh, i know at least one person that doesn't they, they have a problem with king david which i think is disappointing in one sense because people are uh, people are going to disappoint you right it just thankfully not everybody's stories on paper quite as obviously now his failures were were right uh, were were quite dramatic obviously um, but he was a magnificent worshiper of God, right? There's complexity with people, and the Lord is gracious uh, accordingly. But he was a magnificent worshiper of God. And I think I think about that when I think about what we're, we work through in the Psalms in general. That's why I refer to David sometimes. And in a broad sense, the Psalms are contributed to who? David. David. I mean, that's a common contribution. He didn't write all of them, and we know he didn't write all of them. Uh, I don't even know if we could say we have an idea about how many he wrote, but it's that tightly, intimately associated with him. He was a worshiper. And so we think of Psalms, we think of David, even Psalms that uh, work to today, I think bring David to mind for good reason, but there's no reason to conclude he wrote it. And I would say that's because of his enthusiastic uh, worshiping and that this is an enthusiastic, worshipful Psalm. So by way of our place in the year, the nature and content of the psalm and what I hope is our own personal and corporate ambition, we should seek to be better worshipers. And I want to press hard on that matter, but also with an awareness that, as we've already highlighted, that worship has an extraordinary range to it, to its expression, to its application, and something that Psalm 150 draws out for us today. So let's go ahead and read Psalm 150 together. And I'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. It reads very, very, very closely to the NASB, and, and purposely so, but you'll hear a few different terms. You might see praise the Lord, and in most translations we're going to read just more plainly here. So praise Yah, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty expanse, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to the abundance of his greatness, praise him with trumpet blast, praise him with harp and lyre, praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise Yah. Praise Yah. So immediately we have some obvious points of observation that we can make. Uh, first and foremost among them, we can conclude that probably a key term in Psalm 150 is what? Praise. praise. All right, very good. So you didn't have to even peek at your notes to get that one, right? It's very, very obvious. It's repeated there um, multiple times, 13 times. So yes, praise is uh, the key, I would say, term of emphasis here. 13 times in the psalm. So how might you define praise? Um, and just general observations, thoughts. Um, and this is not a gotcha. It's not a trick question like, no, actually, this is how praise is defined. If you're expressing, this is how I understood the word praise or to, to praise God. Expressing adoration for something. Expressing adoration for something. Bringing glory to. Br bringing glory to something or, or someone. Worship. I'm sorry. Worship. Yeah, worship. 
Adoration for his attributes in particular. Adoration for his attributes. Yeah, so I mean, and I would say yes, that, that is praise. It's a spring, expressing or esteeming someone or something's distinct or high worth. And just you're affirming that which is glorious to be glorious. So when applied toward God, it's uh, an expression of worship, as, was, as, as Andre was mentioning. So it's declaring his excellencies. It's magnifying his glory. It's extolling his majesties. And it is to God that the psalmist is calling upon his readers to direct their praise. So we can praise a lot of things, right? We can say, wow, that was so good. Well, we're praising. We praise food. That's not silly unless it becomes silly. Um, you can praise some, somebody's accomplishments. If you drive around enough, you're in a traffic light, you look over. seems like there's a high percentage of people that my student is a whatever super student at wherever. They're praising their student, right? They're affirming, wow, look at their success. We're doing this toward God, which is we're drawing from greater excellencies and greater glories. So with the density of treatment um, of the term praise, we can certainly affirm this is an intensive call to praise God, to worship him, to fulfill the... Um, to, to fulfill the high calling by which you've been created and redeemed. I'd say, you know, people all the time, they, 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 go, to, they go to college and they try to figure out, then they all of a sudden try to figure out why they're here and what they're supposed to do and whatever. Um, but I think this is why we're here and this is what we're supposed to do. That's not necessarily a degree in praising God. I understand that. that there's, there's jobs and works to do, but do we praise God in those things as well? Yeah, this is what we've been designed to do. We've been designed to be worshipers. You can think about what were the, the seraphim, what was their design, or the angels that surrounded God's throne, what were they created to do? Right. Yeah, like all day, that's all they do, obviously. But I don't think we're too far removed from that. We're image bearers. We're not in the presence of God in the same way, but we, we express in the range of our life praise to God, right? We're yielding our lives as worshipers. Now, this will also plainly inform how we outline Psalm 150, this emphasis on praise, the fact that we by design are worshipers, or should be. But first I want to address its place within the psalm. So we're going to think about the outline. That's usually our pattern. We like to look at the outline, how it's structured. But first I want to address the place of Psalm 150 in the psalms. Now, most of you noticed uh, the psalm opens and closes in the same way, right? Pretty obvious. Um, and... For those of you who've been reading out of your Hebrew copies of the Psalms, so Matt had to step out. Um, he'd probably be the only one doing this. I've seen him do it before. Not many of us are going to be doing this, but maybe you have your copy of the Hebrew Scriptures. And you'll notice the structure for the term praise is a little different than the word praise in the other parts of the body, as is the spelling of Yahweh. Um, just at the break, um, uh, was it Andre? Matt and Andre and I were talking about uh, some people abbreviate names. Some people are notorious for doing that, aren't we, Frank? Uh, for nicknames and abbreviating names. Uh, Matt brought it up. Um, and so here we have an interesting an abbreviation of Yahweh. And as this spelling, this spelling of Yahweh is, is coupled with the term for praise in a very intentional way. And we've seen this before. Um, uh, and specifically, and again, Psalm 146, 147, 148, 149, 150. We see it in other places as well. But this phrase is praise Yah. So praise Yah. And looking at your copy of the Hebrew here, um, remember we're reading right to left. We have what? Hallelujah. Yeah. Yah. So the abbreviated term for Yahweh. And then so praise here, we have praise Yah. Or Hallelujah. So y'all are... You go home and meet with family and be like, my Hebrew's getting better. Um, 
Praise Yah, hallelujah. That's why we have the hallelujah psalms. Because what is it doing? It's opening and closing. Again, we've seen this opening and closing with praise Yah or hallelujah at 146 through 150, repeated pattern. And that's why I call these the hallelujah psalms. It's not the only ones that do that. But we see a clear emphasis on worship throughout these psalms. Worship expressed in a variety of ways. So this is our fifth and final hallelujah psalm, having the uh, inclusio of praise Yah. And does any, you know what I mean by inclusio or that term there? bookends yeah it's it's very much a it's very much a mat term right so you have your your bookends as it were and opens and closes it's probably telling us something right it's giving us a you can look in the body of this text for this theme most likely right so praise y'all praise y'all probably gonna have something about what that looks like throughout the body of it so again very intensive treatment of it and again, that's really incredibly plain, isn't it? Eleven uses in the body of, of praise. So again, it's the final hallelujah psalm. It's also the final psalm of the what? The whole, the whole of the psalms, right? I didn't order the, the ordering of the psalms. And I know the numbering has been helpful so that or we can say turn to Psalm 150. But this is the end of the Psalter. This is by design the conclusion. It's also the conclusion of something within the Psalter. So you have how many books in the book of Psalms? Five books. And it's the finish of the fifth book. So we have, it's the conclusion of the Psalter. It's the, the final of the fifth, five books. And we can observe that each of the uh, book of the Psalms, book one, two, three, four, five, they actually end with something. Does anybody know what they end with? It's a consistent pattern. This is the end of the prayers of David or the end of, in some notation, but it being the end of the book. Are they all like a praise God kind of song? Yeah, they, um, they will have varying measures of information, but they all have some form of a doxology, a doxology, then a praise to God. So we're familiar with this concept of a doxology, um, one that we, we even sing together. We call it the doxology. Um, so you're familiar with that, right? Um, the familiar hymn, very, very short, closes a lot of services. And... What's a very familiar refrain throughout this hymn, as it were? Praise. Yeah. It's doing the same thing that Psalm 150 is. Not a bad idea. So we call that the doxology, the, the praise to God. And that's how, um, and if it helps you remember, that's how all five of the books of the Psalms will end as well, with some form of doxology. So praise begins each line of this hymn. Praise finishes all of the books of the Psalms. And again, Psalm 150, final psalm of the book. Uh, book five, final book of the, our final um, psalm of the psalms as well. And each of these, again, have their respective doxologies. Not all of them will have the term praise, um, as the hymn here does. That's really clear. But all express praise back to God. So we can look at those just for a moment. So we have at the conclusion of book one, we have Psalm 41. That finishes book one of the psalms. Verse 13, blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Then we have Psalm 72, finishes the second book. Um, blessed be Yahweh, God, or blessed be Yahweh God, the God of Israel, who alone works wondrous deeds, and blessed be his glorious name forever and ever. Or forever. Boy, I'm just jumping ahead. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are completed. So that's one of the things we're referencing. The end of the third book, Psalm 89, verse 52. Blessed be Yahweh forever. Amen and amen. The end of the fourth book, Psalm 106, verse 48. 
which also happens to be a hallelujah, inclusio psalm, so it begins and ends with the, the praise Yah. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say amen. Praise Yah, or, or hallelujah. And then with book five, we have the culmination of the doxologies that close respective books within the Psalms and the Psalms as a whole. And I would say that's how we should treat it is doxology, doxology, doxology. And this is the doxology. It doesn't just finish book five. It finishes the whole of the Psalms. And how does it finish? Let everything that has breath praise Yah. Praise Yah. So I would see it not just as one of the doxologies in pattern, but I, I think it's because it's the fifth and because it's the final and that pattern has been the final doxology, the final doxology. This is the final doxology. I see it as a kind of a culminating one. Let everything that has breath praise Yah. And then finishing with hallelujah or praise Yah. So Psalm 150 is both the last of the hallelujah psalms and the last of the book of the um, bookend doxologies within the psalms. So let's consider how we might outline it um, first. In verse 1, we have our opening hallelujah which also serves as the first half of the psalms, um, this particular psalms bookend or its inclusio. So again, you're, you're picking up all kinds of terms. Matt will be so impressed. If he's watching, then I'm sorry, he won't be as impressed. But if he's not, you're going to have to throw out, you know, praise you you know, hallelujah, a little inclusio. You're <laughs> speaking his language. Um, so you have the, the, the beginning of the inclusio to inform the body of the psalm. Then, um, also in verse 1, we have where to praise God. Where to praise God. Verse 2, why praise God. Verses 3 through 5, how to praise God. And then verse 6, who is to praise God. And then finally, also verse 6, our closing hallelujah, our closing praise Yah, our closing to the inclusia. Now, We've already noted the uh, opening and closing calls to praise God expressed here as um, hallelujah. Um, hallelujah. So we have the opening call to praise Yah. And, and this is followed by our first section of the book of the, of the Psalm 150, the first section, where to praise God. So we, I think we have the intro, well done, praise Yah, hallelujah beginning of the bracketing. So now we have the body here, the first section of the body of the psalm, where to praise God. And what is the first location that's provided for praising God? Sanctuary. Sanctuary. And as uh, Pastor Matt established last week, he, he made reference to it this week, but he talked more about it last week. The term sanctuary is very close to the term for, I'm just curious, does anybody remember? I wouldn't expect you to. I'm, I was in this world, so. Sanctified, holy. The same Yeah. For holy, so he did mention safe haven, safe place today, um, but the um, kadesh, kadesh, kadesh. So term for holy. That's what we have here for sanctuary. And um, again, Matt would help us. Frank's clearly skilled, and I'm I'm just along for the ride. Um, I want to be helpful, but we have the term for holy. Okay, holy is used there for sanctuary. So where to praise God? Praise God in His holy. Well, praise God specifically in a sanctuary. Because as we, as again, Matt just mentioned last week, there's an association of holy, and it's quite close to that term for sanctuary. And I think about the term holy, a word that's used here to express the Lord's sanctuary. There is a term for sanctuary, 
but he chose to use holy. So there's a word that's already close to it, and here he just used the term holy. And what do we think about what is holy? It's that which has been set apart. Yeah, set apart. And set apart in the context of this for what? Worship. For worship. Very good. Y'all are catching on really good. Um, it's like Wednesday night crowd became the Sunday night, but even better. <laughs> or Sunday afternoon. So, yeah, it's holy. It's set apart. Set apart for worship. Worship expressed in, in now the sanctuary context. It would be what? Memorials, sacrifices, prayer. Right? That's what you... But is there anything else am I missing there with the sanctuary broad broad categories? I think that's pretty well. You're going to have your physical sacrifices. You're going to have memorials. You're going to have prayer. Memorials including like the bread of the presence. And yes. Okay. Yeah. Things that direct your attention to, to, to God and things that he's already done. Um, and his person, his character. So this sanctuary is where God's special presence dwelt among his people, right? And that was uh, unique in that regard. So it was um, utterly holy in that regard. So thankfully it was crafted with magic wood, supernatural gold, and fabric that came from heaven, right? That, that's not a trick question. That's an easy one that it's two letters. It's, no. No, very good. So it was it was ordinary materials, right? Provided by God's people, but materials skillfully crafted and set apart to God, consecrated in accordance to his clear instructions. There were clear instructions how you set it apart and how you make it holy. But again, that's a fitting use of the term holy. It was taking something, setting it apart for God, right? It wasn't like mystical, magical things that fell down that made the sanctuary. And I think that's helpful for us to remember because, again, uh, we are common folks, but we are to call to be a holy people, a holy people designed to be worshipers. So the term used here is holy. And while there are terms for sanctuary that also plainly are used to speak of God's sanctuary, there's terms that are just plain sanctuary. This term is also frequently used to express God's sanctuary. And again, I think the reason for that is because it's a holy place set apart for worship. Now, to press this just a little bit more, I want to consider the first of the 469 times this term is used in the Old Testament. Only the first, not all 469. And it's a term that we've already established and uh, is translated with a high degree of frequency to express things, persons, and locations set apart to God. That's what the term means, is to set something apart to God, primarily, I would say, with a view to worship. But the first time we encounter this word is rather a memorable one. So you're familiar with um, Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, right? So we've gone through all the book of Genesis. We haven't come across this term, the specific term yet. We get to Exodus, the very beginning, and we read, Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. So what's happening here? You can say it with confidence. I'm not trying to trick you. So what is this? The Lord's appearing to Moses in the burning bush. Yeah, Lord's appearing to Moses in the burning bush. And so we would call this a theophany, right? So God's special presence um, uh, manifesting it way in a unique way, um, divinely interrupting what's otherwise a common pattern experience. So this theophany, the ground before Moses, uh, before this theophany, the ground before Moses, that was just common, right? Moses could have walked around. It's just, just ground, right? It was of no unique standing on its own, but with God's special presence, it was designated, identified as holy and set apart. That's the nature of the structure that came to be identified as the sanctuary. But because it was uniquely consecrated into God and was the place for a special presence, it was utterly holy. And you had best treated accordingly, right? You didn't just cavalierly engage these things. 
and the most fitting place to, to express praise to God was a holy place, a sanctuary. So we start off with the most natural and fitting command. Praise God in his sanctuary. That makes sense, right? It's really straightforward, very simple, but fitting, especially as directing and commanding God's people. So praise God in that place and in the manner that he is so clearly set apart for this purpose, the purpose of worship. So the psalmist calls, commands us, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise God where and how he's prescribed and where he finds joy in being exalted. And then we come to the second location. Where's the second location God's to be praised? His mighty expanse. Now, following this clearly defined structure that can be measured and naturally quantified is the call, the command, to worship God in his mighty expanse. To worship God amidst the immeasurable breadth of majesty throughout the range of space and distance, which man will never fully probe, much less quantify. Did y'all you hear about the special um, rocket launch yesterday out of uh, French, French guy? Yeah. Yes. Um, does anybody know what that rocket was for? To launch the biggest uh, telescope ever to explore plant, other planets and other solar systems. And it's, I mean, it's amazing. Um, uh, we have a friend that works, or maybe he's retired now. Um, I think he's still there at Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And just that world is very fascinating. And so this satellite has a heat shield the size of a tennis court, which because it has to be um, I like sub like 400 degrees on the, the, the lens side because it's picking up infrared to the depths of the, the universe and the, the explanation was Hubble gave us a picture of the adolescence of the universe and this is going to give us a picture to its origins <laughs> but aren't we grateful for these incredible telescopes I mean good data um, and, and I'd say God's data in terms of this, he's, he's allowing man to, to enjoy an incredible range of information and uh, to learn. Um, it's what we do and it's, I guess, really the issue. So here we have the psalmist. Can you imagine? He's saying, praise God in his mighty expanse. And he's thinking the immeasurable. And here we have man like, kind of like a little Tower of Babel-like moment, like, I can measure that. Yeah. Well, you, you can't, but we're really grateful you're trying because the view from the top of the tower is great. Um, but uh, nevertheless, it provokes us to worship, right? So this burst up in the range which worship is expressed here. This is a, a fitting context, again, of prescribed and structured worship by location and practice than the boundless context of worship, which is... It's not a recklessness and it's boundlessness. It's not like, well, the temple, it has its structures and its order, and so this is just free-for-all. No, it's not. We're still mindful. We're still submissive, and we're still recognizing and esteeming God and his glory. But we can enjoy the breadth of what God's exp uh, expressed and made known to us. And, and I would say this uh, breadth continues to expand. Uh, it's not some free-for-all expression of worship in nature, but a view to the greatness of God's work reflecting the greatness of God, lending itself, again, to a generous range of expression. And so with that, some simpler applications, I'd say that's why we can worship God in the home, um, in the woods. But we're not worshiping the woods, right? Worshiping the Creator uh, on a mountain or in mountains or uh, some of, again, done in recent years. How many of you have heard or known Christian astronauts? You've heard maybe their testimonies and stuff. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, I remember one of them years ago, 
for a special little uh, banquet out in California for students. Uh, an astronaut was sharing like a picture of Israel from space and talking about he, he was the first person to ever bring a MacArthur study Bible into outer space. It's like, <laughs> like, okay, that's kind of neat. Um, and then um, other astronauts, uh, you know, they have to still, you still have a sleep pattern, right? You have to be mindful of that, even though they see like what, 16 sunrise and sunsets on the space station like every day just because of the speed at which they're moving and the placement and everything, but they still need to wake up. And one of them would wake up every morning to the, the um, God of Wonders song, um, the God of Wonders Beyond Our Galaxy. And just to, you know, just to remind them, one of them would record devotionals for his kids uh, so they could play it when they were home. And that's what we can do. We can worship in the mighty expanse, right? And I think it's rather amazing. Some of God's people have had the joy of worshiping, worshiping from space. And that should be encouraging to us because there's no exhausting God's mighty expanse. I'm mindful of the psalmist, what he had in mind. I mean, he's probably looking at the sky and they're like, wow, there's the immeasurable call to worship God. And for us, what a neat place to be that we're not saying that he was ignorant. He wasn't any more than somebody 100 years from now can say we were ignorant. Some of us are. Um, but to be able to say, look, we have so much more data to draw from. Now, we love our stats, but this is better data. To, to draw from, to think about, and to worship God. As we press these limits, you know, some people's minds are blown with nature, like, wow, look at nature. Ours, though, are what? They're pressed to worship, to worship the, the God of glory. So praise God in his sanctuary, that, that clearly defined structure with prescribed ways, and praise God in his mighty expanse. And now we come to why praise God. Why praise God? So from where one praises God to why one praises God. And what's the first reason provided for praising God? Mighty deeds. So for the term for mighty deeds, it's used consistently at the conclusion of the life of various kings. We just saw one today. It's actually, I think, one of my um, examples, except I go to, to Kings and um, Matt went to Chronicles. So this term for mighty deeds is used consistently at the conclusion of the life of various kings. Um, it's stated in some way or another. Here's the details of their certain accomplishments, certain things they're known for, and then it directs you to the archived accounting of the many more mighty deeds recorded in the Chronicles of the Kings. So here's a few examples. He did this, he did this, but if you want to get the full story, you go to the Chronicles. The Chronicles have it all listed out. So a familiar example of Hezekiah, top three king here, um, now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? 2 Kings 20, 20. Now, if we're going to praise God for his mighty deeds, we know where to praise a king. We know where to honor a king. We can go to the where for a king, to praise a king, or to recognize what a king's accomplished. The book of Chronicles. Chronicles of the Kings. And some of them we don't, and they're speaking of chronicles outside of our chronicles. So they, they're larger uh, breadth of material that was not inspired. But if we're going to praise God for his mighty deeds, where might we source the content of this praise? The Bible. Yeah, the Bible, the scriptures. <clears throat> now, this is a little bit of a not trying to, it's not a gotcha question, but it kind of sounds like a gotcha question, so be patient. Are we at liberty to go beyond the precise accounting of God's mighty deeds as recorded in the scriptures? Here's the qualification. If we do so by honoring their patterns and principles when praising God for his mighty deeds. 
Yeah. Like if God does something like, oh, I prayed that God would provide this and he did, and you can praise him for it. Yeah, so it can be a gotcha because one principle we operate off of is we don't go beyond what is written. But what is written are principles and precepts that we can flesh out, right? We can talk about the particulars. So we have, we can say, uh, we can praise God for saving his people. Boy, we have a whole catalog of that. But beyond what's written, we can say we can praise God for saving us. So we have lots of personal and immediate things for which we can praise God, again, as patterned in the scriptures. This also leaves, I think, proper room for such things as, I think it's Psalm 149 that we'll draw back from at a later time, and it mentions singing a new song. And that concept is there. We do it all the time. Um, we, we're expressing praise back to God for um, out of creativity with new songs drawn from old truths, but also, again, uh, from our own experience and from the experiences we've seen patterned and from things that we anticipate as well. That's what David was doing, too. Yeah. So that's that's what David was doing as well, as Pastor Frank was mentioning. So we praise God for his mighty deeds. And what's the second reason for praising God here in verse 2? Greatness. So the abundance of his greatness. And I'd say this almost compare, uh, this looks to me like a compounding of synonyms, abundance and greatness. Um, and in this, the psalmist is drawing out a, a compounding of praise. This compounding comes through in the various ways that the phrase is translated. So I'm um, just going to give you a few different examples. Uh, the Legacy Standard Bible, praise him according to the abundance of his greatness. The abundance of his greatness. NASB and ESV, praise him according to his excellent greatness. We're trying to grab, how do we express this? This is what we're looking for. And I think perhaps the most plainly stated, the, the Net Bible and NIV both translated it, praise him for his surpassing greatness. I think sometimes really plain language helps us even more. And that's what he's aiming for. Let's praise God for just his unbounding, unmeasurable greatness. So what we do know and what we're just grasping to try to even try to understand. Now, what might such a phrase be communicating, and perhaps better stated, what might it be commanding um, when we say praise God for his surpassing greatness? What, what, how would that look? What would that look like? What does that sound like? You have to know something about it. Yeah, you have to know something about it. Um, you, you, you can't, um, again, if somebody came in the, the kitchen fellowship area and was like, oh, these balls were so good, and you know they just stood here the whole time, you'd be like, that's weird. I don't think you really know that. I think you're echoing something or you have general information. But there's a draw, there's a, an intimacy of knowing and experience. Yes? Well, because of his infinite greatness, I think we should praise him infinitely because his greatness is infinite. So yeah. there's no, there should be no ending, no ceasing to our praising of him. Yeah, yeah, it's not like, well... Um, uh, so Andre and I were talking. Sometimes we're in a you're in a teaching context, like in the jail, and somebody's like, "Well, what do you think, Andre?" And sometimes we're like, "Like, I'm 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 resourceless. I'm toolless. There's I can't even pull the internet up because there's no phone, and it's just me." And sometimes we will exhaust what we know about something. But if somebody's like, "Well, how can you praise God? Are you going to exhaust that?" No. No. The exhausting would be just our own limited um, relationship with the information, but it wouldn't be exhaustible. And then here's the long part. We're not going to spend a long time on it, and some of us would wish it away, but it's here. <laughs> so the fourth section of the psalm, the how we praise God. 
And this section comes with challenges. It's not so much a matter of, is the passage prescriptive or descriptive? These are commands here, okay? So commands, you can't be like, oh, well, you know, that was, no, it's, it's firmly in the prescriptive category. So maybe we need to ask, well, who's it commanded to? And what, maybe, okay, well, we still have commands here. Um, it might be a descriptive command. We have commands, and I would say descriptive command in the sense of not requiring all elements, but the spirit of what's being communicated. Maybe we can say that, but I think we also have to be really careful about saying, well, it's not the details of the commands, it's the spirit of the command, because, boy, that puts us on a very slippery path of inconsistency, because uh, we'll start saying, well, this is kind of what it means, and then we start infusing, this is what I want it to kind of mean. It's hard, but I do think there's a place to say, well, does they have every instrument that you're supposed to praise God? No. Now, do we have to take up tambourines? All of us? No, I wouldn't say so. So there's a delicate... Uh, balance there. But I, I do think what we do have that's clear is there is a command. It's a command of how God's people are, are going to be worshiping God, expressing it in these range of ways. But we have to be careful about how we talk about that in terms of, well, this is, this is a, I think it's reflective or an example of, you got to be careful. Yes. I, I look at these instruments and for the most part, they're very loud instruments. So I interpret that as how to praise God, praising him boldly. A trumpet is a loud instrument. What do you do with a tambourine? You, 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 you beat on it. What do you do? Some stringed instruments can be considered loud. Resounding and clashing cymbals is loud. Mm -hmm. So by, by the type of instrument that he's describing here, maybe that's all that was available to them, then I don't know. But by the type of instrument that he's describing, it, 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 to me, it insinuates a certain boldness to be able to praise God with boldness because of what he's done for us and not be ashamed of it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good um, uh, drawing out principle and application because that's, and that's, the, that's how we see it happen. I mean, I, I don't think any of us can imagine David being like, or Miriam, like at the Red Sea, be like, Yay. Yahweh delivered us. What what did you say, Miriam? Speak up. Yahweh delivered us. I mean, I mean they were enthusiastic and, and and very much so, which again, for Willem and I, we're screaming in our hearts, we're dancing in our hearts. It's it can be hard. Um so how much does personality weigh in that? How much do we excuse ourselves based off personality? Frank's gonna clarify that in hermeneutics class. <laughs> and speaking of hermeneutics. I've just said we have commands here, right? This is Psalm 150. We have multiple commands here. Praise, 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 praise. Uh, how do we understand that in terms of where the commands were in the scriptures? Do they apply to us anymore? Because we're the church. We're not Israel. Um, again, aren't we all looking forward to hermeneutics? Um, because we don't have a duplication of these commands as they're stated here necessarily in the New Testament. So do we just relegate it and say, well, the Psalms make a nice picture of bygone days. I don't think we get out like that easy, do we? And we're told to praise with music, with song, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody. Yeah. Yeah, we, I think part of it no is, instruments there's no dancing command that other than it does. And there's no instruments, but there is kissing. So, <laughs> so, um, I think one of the things we have to wrestle with is, yes, this was toward Israel, but what did God's people do? 
Okay, the president. I just had a question with that. Is there really any wrong way to praise the Lord? To not necessarily. Is it a matter of the heart. Yeah, I'd say the. How you express it, and who can know that except the Spirit of the Lord and the person? Yes, and I'm, I'm. I think I'm gonna get there, but if I don't, okay. bring me back. Because I might try to avoid it, so don't let me do that either. <laughs> like, well, that's all. That's all. Yeah, and I think it's a necessary one. I don't know if this is the right answer or not, but I might have an answer to that. There could be a wrong way if with your mouth you praise him, but in your heart you really don't You do not do what he asks you to do. Yeah. Like in some parts of the Bible he says, you praise me with your lips, but your your hearts are, empty or, or, you know, are not with me. Yeah, and so I think we can definitely, what we're leaving on the table is what's in the realm of practice what we're taking off the table is a heart that's disconnected or a heart that's wicked or even outright idolatry so like the golden calf was this is the god who delivered you well it wasn't that's idolatry or if it's not truth yeah or if it's if it's lacking truth so we're taking i think the spirit of the question is with pure righteous worship what's the range of that's expressed Mm -hmm. so we'll method yes so we do have principles what we can and I, I would argue that what we can draw from them does still stand so i would say principles still stand so boldness music singing maybe something else um so we're still worshipers who give praise to god um, we need to wrestle what that looks like in our context um, because our context is what it is and i think we've broadly settled uh, out here so i think I was, if i'm not speaking accurately then please correct me but so restore me with the spirit of gentleness. <laughs> How do we, what are our parameters? I think this is where, I, I guess I'm answering your question earlier than I anticipated. So what are the what are the parameters or what are the expectations? I think this is how we've operated. So theological soundness, I think we'd all agree with that. It has to be truth. So whatever it's expressed or how it's expressed has to be consistent with truth. And then gifting and ability within the body. There has to, there, there has to be, um, uh, so, I'm trying to think, um, I don't know that we have any, do we have a flutist here? Flautist. Flautist. Maybe Flautist. that's why they never come forward and ask for a flutist. So, if that, we could, we could have, truth's not on the, the theological soundness is an issue, but gifting and ability might be, right? So, that would take that off. Is there a reasonable opportunity? So, number of people here play piano. There's not a reasonable opportunity, at least right now. Um, orderly execution. Um, so it wouldn't, uh, and by orderliness, it would not be, I don't think it'd be proper if I'm up here teaching or Matt or Frank were up here teaching and all of a sudden someone's like, just start singing. Be like, that was, that we have a, that was a disruption to flow. Now, sometimes I've heard teachers stop and sing, which they're gifted in that way, then so be it. But some kind of orderly execution, or again, um, Anton and, and Frank, they start dancing. They, they would lack an orderly execution in terms of. You have that, I mean, that kind of thing in First Corinthians 14, where they. Yes, thank you. Felt yeah. like they were worshiping, uh, speaking in tongues, and uh, you know, doing other things that were not in order and yeah. confusing. Yes, that. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up uh, so first corinthians 12 to 14 kind of gives us a really good parameters with it wasn't things were always bad it was just there's a there's a measure of orderliness and there's a measure of uh 
Yeah, I, I don't know. How to, I don't know what else that's at. Orderliness is the best way I can say. Now, orderliness can be used as like a club too. With um, I don't like that, and so it's not orderly. Yeah. Um, like some people would despise our guitar up here and be like, "Well, that's not orderly." Um, I, I think we have to be really careful because what we do, especially with worship and singing and music and all these kind of things is we elevate, we, we confuse preference with conviction, and then conviction becomes preference. Um, or, or preference becomes conviction. I mean, I, we were talking this morning, there's certain things that I I try to be careful with no one's house to be like, this is this is daddy. Don't confuse daddy and home with church. There's certain things that I prefer, don't like, or do like. But that's me. And I have to answer for that. But I'm not going to... I don't have any problem with other people doing it. That's not hypocrisy. That's that's personality. That's skills and abilities. And, and sometimes it's me trying to figure things out. And until I got it figured out, I just, I'm stuck where I am with my statistics. But, and part of this also means what we do now may look different than what we do in a few years. Not likely because of a change of theological conviction, but more on account of the other areas. Gifting and ability within the body will change. Um, some people become more gifted. I have a recorder in my office, not like a, a little thing, whatever, plastic flute thing. Yeah. One day I, I'm hoping to, to play it because um, I can't sing particularly well, and so it's, it stops me from singing but contributing still. Um, so uh, gifting will change. Maybe we'll have a piano somewhere. I don't know. Um, but uh, gifting and ability will change. Reasonable opportunity, orderly execution. Uh, maybe it's something that wouldn't fit right now. We'll fit later. Um, so we'll, we'll have to wrestle through that. Now, again, we're not being exhaustive, though, so I want to be careful. And maybe under the pretense of being careful, not taking too much time, and not being exhaustive, we'll just pretend the word dancing isn't there. We're good with that? Okay, I'm, I'm mostly kidding. Um, because, But you have to be sympathetic to me. Okay, because you have to understand that you're not born into the church, right? You're, I mean, you might be born and always be at the church. And so in that regard, I was effectively born a Baptist. Now you have to be a member and whatever, not born into membership, I guess. I was functionally born a Baptist. As a young man, the Baptist formally recognized my gifting to desire to pastor. They, they kind of commissioned me with a pre-ordination-like recognition. And this guy, he's going he's gonna to preach and teach and stuff. And then years later, I was ordained through the Baptist church. So when I saw the word dancing, <laughs> and then it's like, it was framed as a command and not a prohibition. Well, um, somebody caught my reaction, and it's just what it is. Um, <laughs> and, and how did that line get in there? <laughs> well, like it or not. <laughs> Like it or not, it's there, and I think it's proper to, to talk about it, as it were. So, here we go. I'll do my best. So, while the inclusion of uh, dancing in Psalm 150 and a few other places is challenging, back to a prior discussion, it's actually equally challenging, or maybe more challenging, other elements have caused a like reaction by others. Why? Instruments? Why? Guitar, drums, piano? Right. Yeah. Some... It, it's a range. And what does that come down to? Is that conviction or is that we're trying to wrestle through in a little bit of personality and preference? A little bit of personality preference. And maybe there is some conviction. We have to figure out where it falls 
between that spectrum of command to preference. And so that's hard to parse. That's hard to parse. Um, if you go to, um, I, back, many of you have been to South America. Do you think their Baptists are struggling with that term dancing? Probably not. It's just, it's just not, not really. Um, there's, there's people that they've never danced in their hearts. It's always been with their feet. Um, so nevertheless, it's, it can be hard. Um, and we need to, to wrestle through what are, what is fitting for instra or what's fitting for worship, particularly corporate worship. And I think that's one of the key things. Uh, I mean, if somebody, uh, steals my phone or Frank's phone or Matt's phone, they're going to see like the, the elders were texting about dancing this week. Uh, not a dance, but dancing. And we were go- Frank and I were kind of going back and forth of like, what? How do we understand this? And, and um, corporate, private, otherwise. And there's a lot of strong opinions and convictions in these matters. And without engaging in a comprehensive examination of various instruments and, and these other things, I will say that many of them are often coupled together in praising God in a variety of contexts. These instruments, like like um, Andrew was saying, they get coupled together a lot with praising God and occasionally even dancing gets thrown in there so we have to figure out what does that inform us and how we think through that and uh, yes but there, there was a lot of dancing though wasn't there at one point uh, when David was coming into Jerusalem mm-hmm. after a big after conquering uh, a big war uh, victory yeah. he was dancing and there were people criticizing him for dancing and stuff like that saying who you know who is this guy whatever dancing around like that like some yeah his wife actually <laughs> right yeah <laughs> Yeah, and so you have not, this, not Bathsheba though, was it? No, uh, was Michael, another wife. Michael, yeah. Yeah. Michael. yeah, and she didn't. Didn't turn out well for it. Yeah, she, it Ab- Absalom's mom, I think, was the one who was criticizing criticizing him like that. Um, or maybe did maybe didn't say. No, because this one didn't have any children. Oh, and I think that was kind of a, a slap down for her. Um, but again. We have this list. Uh, I don't think they're exclusive. I don't think they're. Uh, I don't. I think it gives us a range. I'm persuaded this is a rich expression of instruments, a rich expression of worship. But I will say, um, again, it's patterned in the Old Testament, and it was done with skill. I do think that's important. And uh, there's. I know there's. Well, just make a joyful noise, or God's happy. You know what? Some people have told their children they can sing well and draw well far too long. <laughs> you know, the Lord does desire a measure of excellence, and we see that pattern. And we can talk about that another time in terms of how David ordered worship with skillful players, skillful musicians. But I'll say that wrestling through Psalm 150 has dramatically impacted my, my thoughts on, on those things in terms of uh, uh, music and, and how music should be appreciated. Um, David, the quintessential worshiper, again, he he literally structured music at the temple or the tabernacle later the temple. He later structured musicians, singers, um, freeing them for service, fiscally freeing them, make sure they're paid for that. It was a practice that remained in place well after David was gone. We see some examples of that. We're not going to look at those today. I'm just going to cite them there. Um, passages such as 2 Samuel 7, 1 Chronicles 13, 15, 16, 2 Chronicles 5 and 29, Nehemiah 12. These are all skillful applications of music and singing. Uh, I think it's I think it's really helpful. And it rounds out a part of that conversation. Um, but enough about that. And as Frank always says, almost every conversation ends with this, enough, let's get to the dancing. So, um, <laughs> so I'm getting a visual, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's <laughs> even worse. So 
Truth. Truth is important. <laughs> He'll get his turn. Um, but um, now I think about the accounts, as Andres mentioned, David dancing before the Lord. They're worthy of uh, particular attention. And I speak of these contexts. Uh, there are many also, again, instruments that are used, the same kind of instruments. I believe that's uh, some of the others as well. Um, and I consider that moment with David. He's bringing back the Ark of the Covenant. Um, to, to Jerusalem, right? He's bringing it to Jerusalem. He's quintessential worshiper, loves God. He, it, it's not magic box for him. Remember, it was treated like magic box um, when the when it was taken under, um, was it Enoch? The priest, Samuel's priest. Um, Eli. Or Eli. Eli. Yeah, I'm sorry, Eli. Um, yeah, sorry, Enoch. Um, but, uh, taken into battle. It's treated like a magic box. Like, oh, we're going to parade our God into battle. David wasn't thinking that way. He knew this is a representation of the special presence of God. He It centered his direction for worship. He is so enthusiastic and so just enraptured with it. And, and I consider that moment as an eruption of pure joy in God. This wasn't some silly whatever. It wasn't trying to be... He, I think he was lost in the moment. Just totally enraptured and, and joy in God. And he was so skilled at doing what many of us cannot. So we he took language, even as even as what he did in other ways, he took languages to, to, to greater heights and lower depths and a struggle and prayer and praise. All right? I mean he was a brilliant musician and writer, um, psalmist. And found himself uh, he found himself in a place where words alone so this master wordsmith, this master singer and declarer of God's excellencies, I think he found himself at a place where words weren't enough. And so in just raw, overwhelming, celebratory worship of God, the guy starts dancing. And I can appreciate that in the sense of, wow, the sweet psalmist of Israel, he couldn't, I don't think a song would have fit for him. I think he was like, songs, not enough. And so he danced and vigorously danced. And I think from what we know of David, in many ways, uh, if any man was going to be dancing, it was going to be him, right? I mean, he was just a hard-charging love of the Lord, dance with all his heart and celebratory joy of God. It was, go it was going to be him. And what should I say about us in view of that? I don't know. I, it's not just because I'm not being exhausted, but what do you do? Um, I do know some of us... Uh, feel and respond so much more deeply than, than Willem and I do, or, or maybe maybe some others. Uh, but we shouldn't be mistaken. Don't be mistaken. We are dancing in our hearts. But what do we do with that? Like, what do you do with that kind of enthusiasm erupting in expression and praise to God? That, to me, is hard. Um, I, because I'm not going to critique him. Right, what are you going to do? This, this master wordsmith, this master musician... He just wasn't going to be restrained. And it wasn't some kind of uh, ecstatic fit. He really was finding satisfaction in God, right? So what do you do with that? Jennifer has an answer, and then Denise does. Well, this is, I didn't, that was, that was not, I, I don't know that I want to hear this. <laughs> Go ahead, please. Because I have two questions. Do you think that largely, especially with dancing, it could be, cultural I mean because a lot of cultures have dancing as a method of expression um, I mean in the the Israelites dance on the banks of the Red Sea you, you hear that it would I think it would have been more comfortable for them yeah whereas 
you know, for me, that is not a comfortable expression of emotion. I think for a lot of us it wouldn't be. But also I think you have to, um, because because of the religious tradition I grew up in, there was dancing and worship, but it could sometimes verge on disruptive. I think, you know, you have to take order and skill too, because when we worship God, you know, we, we do it with skill. Like you said, you know, I'm not going to come up and play the trumpet because I can't. And so, you know, if we do um, use dance and worship, shouldn't it also be done skillfully? I mean, would that play into it if you can't do it with excellence? I mean, just like something that approximates dancing. Like you said, you don't want to critique, but these are things that, you know, I think when I'm listening here, we still have to have standards to guide. It's not, worship is not a free-for-all. Yeah, no, I think that's really helpful. Um, and then Denise and then Andre. And uh, I was just going to ask, is there a difference? Like, so this it starts out with praise him in a sanctuary and then praise him in his mighty expanse, like kind of anywhere, wherever you are, praise him. So there's a difference between like, okay, so I will totally break out and dance <laughs> in my own house. But I wouldn't do that here so much, you know, not necessarily because it would be really awkward here. But um, <laughs> it would be it would be a distraction. It would be weird. But there's a difference between me at home. I might play the piano and sing at home, and it is not done well. And but I am thoroughly enjoying it, and I'm, you know, it, there's a difference when it's done unto the Lord. There versus here, it would need to be done skillfully, and I would need actual talent. And if I were dancing or whatever, if that were a thing, it would need to be done skillfully. Versus, I mean, I don't know, maybe David did not dance skillfully. It doesn't say if he danced skillfully, but that wasn't necessarily a worship service in the sanctuary. That was just. It wasn't a performance. And yeah, he was. Descriptive rather than prescriptive there, too. Yes. It's not yeah. saying that we should do what David did. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't always have to be, but like in, because of the principles from the New Testament in Corinthians about when you're in a worship service together as a church family, it all needs to be in order and to bring glory to God, not attention to yourself, not be distracting. So there's a difference between private and corporate is what I'm saying. And one of the things that Frank and I were going back and forth on, I mean, hermeneutics would say you're mindful of cultural context. So that certain cultures are more dancing oriented. Order obviously has to fit. There's private worship, corporate worship, which we were discussing. I mean, um, not everybody prays in service. That is, a, I hope you're praying. Not everybody sings. Well, hopefully you're singing corporately. But um, there's certain things that... There's, there are distinctions. Um, it's a, one's a reflection of the other, but there are still distinctions. But Andre. Coming back to what Jennifer was saying, I, I do think it's a cultural thing. And what you were saying too, like in South America, there's a lot of song and dance going on and stuff like that. But even back in in Jewish old Jewish times with David dancing yeah. and stuff like that, I've been to one Jewish bar mitzvah and one Jewish wedding. Boy, those guys know how to party. They, they dance. <laughs> there's yeah. a Jewish they, photographer I follow in New York, and he does only Orthodox <laughs> weddings. And I'm like, man, I want to see one of these things. They're they amazing. they dance, and they, you know, again, I don't know, it's, they're not worshiping God necessarily. Right. But they're, yeah. they're just but being it's joyful. It's a cultural thing yeah, that to this party. day exists in the, in the Hebrew culture. I mean, they are just, they're out there dancing their hearts out. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's a, this is where discussion is fruitful obviously. And I think it's something to continue talking through. But we're going to keep going. <laughs>
And I want to frame um, a little bit more about dancing, but not not just to, um, to beat the tambourine too hard here. Um, so I think a good first step to appreciate uh, this term for dancing and what it reflects, there's five other passages we have the same term for dancing. That's one of the helpful safeguards. Just because it terms you somewhere else doesn't mean it's going to be fully instructive. Again, there's obviously... You have to be careful about that, but it can give us insight. So let's look at the five other times this particular term is used. And I think it reflects the heart that's expressed the dancing. So Psalm 30 verses 11 and 12, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and guarded me with gladness that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Yahweh, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So again, worshipful joy okay and then uh, psalm 149 verse 3 let them praise his name with dancing with tambourines and lyre let them sing praises to him again clearly worshipful joyful expression Um, then we have a little bit of a longer section jeremiah 31 verses 1 through 4 Um, at that time declares yahweh i will be the god of all the families of israel and they shall be my people thus says yahweh the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness israel when it went out to find its relief Yahweh appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with my loving with loving kindness. Again, I will build you, and you will be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. And you will take up your tambourines and go forth into the, to the dances of those celebrating. Again, restorative joy. And then, um, let's see this uh, next one, Jeremiah 31, 10 to 14. Uh, so further down, same, same chapter. Hear the word of Yahweh of nations and declare in the coastlands far away and say, He who dispersed Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For Yahweh has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from the hand of him who was stronger than he. They will come and sing for, the, for joy on the height of Zion. And they will be ra- radiant over the goodness of Yahweh, over the grain and the new wine and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. And the soul will be like a watered garden, and they will never waste away again. Then the virgin will be glad in the dance, and the young men and the old together. For I will turn their mourning into joy, and will comfort them and give them gladness for their sorrow. I will fill the soul of the priest with richness, and my people will be satisfied with my goodness, declares Yahweh. And then we have a very firm contrast for our last one. The joy of our hearts has been ce- has ceased. Our dancing has been turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes are dim. Because of Mount Zion, which lies desolate, foxes walk about in it. So I think it's really clear, at least the heart of it, right? I mean, this is an expression of of great satisfaction and joy in God. And then there's one New Testament example I want to give. It is not of the like nature. It's from a parable. Parables give details for realism, to, to, to round out the story, not so that we can parse every detail. But because the detail contributes to the understanding, I think it can be helpful here. Um, You have the parable of the the prodigal son, or maybe titled better in other ways. But here we have, now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And what was the context there? Joy. Yeah, this is a restoration. And, And I mean, so it's, again, culture and place and it's it's enthusiastic joy and it can be expressing uh celebration with music and dancing i think there's a lot of room that we we need to wrestle wrestle well um a lot of people wrestle and um uh, yeah they, they do it in such a way that it just hurts people uh, it's like um i mean if you i mean 
let's be honest. So, I mean, and Brandon and I get in a wrestling match. I, I'm going to try to grab a toe or something and bend it. Fine. I'm going to fight dirty because I'm wrestling just to win, not not to be a good sportsman. I, I've, I've got to win. He's he's got me. But if I'm wrestling because we're trying to come to a reasonable shared conclusion, then we're just going to. I mean, we're going to be exhausted. We're going to get there eventually. It's just hard. Um, so some people wrestle cheap, and I don't think they're being. I think they have a conclusion and they they're going to get there. I hope we wrestle well. I just hope it doesn't end with dancing. Um, unless that's what we have to do. And then, well, we come to the culminating conclusion. Um, the call to praise the Lord reaches all persons, all persons. There's no restriction on this qualification of this call. If you have the breath of life, you fall into this one, right? Uh, to spend your life in its highest function, created purpose, praise the Lord. And this last verse should really be seen as, again, I'd say the culminating unison too. The finish to Psalm 150, the finish to the fifth book, and the finish to the Psalms as a whole. He's directing us to do what? To praise the Lord. And it reaches, it joins the rank of the preceding doxologies. It gives them, a, some, them also a most fitting conclusion. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So now we'll finish um, and... Uh, I'll open it to you. Any thoughts, conclusions? I know we shared a lot. Y'all did really well with interacting. I'm grateful for that. It helps. Something like this lends itself more toward let's work through this together. But anybody else have any concluding thoughts or um, questions? It just seems that dancing basically after everything we've seen here is just an expression of joy. How How else is someone who does not play an instrument or cannot sing well or whatever would express joyful, a joyful feeling would be to go to go and dance yeah and i and i don't want to i know some people equate um sports with well, are you that enthusiastic about god what's well, it is a very different context i hope people don't i, I don't want y'all to break out in like a wave or something <laughs> like or if somebody makes a good point be like yeah you know that it's a different context but it is interesting when somebody's team uh, does well makes a great play i mean it's there's a physical reaction sometimes. Just, yes, there's like a, a micro dance. Like they jump up. Yes, and they even like pound their hands or whatever. I think it's reasonable. I mean, it's a it's a full expression of joy. All right. What? Well, yes. Since, since there's been so much about dancing, maybe if a, a congregation that was not so accustomed to dancing wanted to incorporate a little bit, not you know, exaggerated moving. Swaying, you know, even the Presbyterians sway. <laughs> yes. Maybe a little flexing of the knees, a little, well, little bending. A little vigorous clapping if the music is appropriate. Yeah, I think that's what we're going to have to wrestle through. It's like. Um, Church in South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. There, and part of that was culture. Um, but yeah. So let's wrestle well, no grabbing toes and twisting them to try to get our point across. Um, this is not about dancing. This okay, is just good. in the New Testament, you know, we're told um, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, to do it to the glory of God, and whatever your hand finds to do, work heartily as unto the Lord. Like that, those are things that are expressing worship and praise to God in all areas of life. And I think that that's what the heart of this is. It's just praise the Lord in all things. Everything that has breath, praise them with enthusiasm and joy. Yeah, and we have the, and again, we didn't talk about the instrument. We could have spent more time on that um, in terms of the, the breath and the expression of that. But um, 
I found the elephant. I wanted to tackle it. So, um, <laughs> but so. everything that we do brings glory to God. If it's not glorifying God, then it's not okay. Yeah, then you've, you're not fulfilling primary function or responsibility.